Welcome back, dear ones. This is Imperfect Progress with your host, Tennessee Coons, where we dive into the experiences, feelings, and tools that make up a full and flawed life. Today, we're talking about the victim and creator circles. Do you ever feel like you have two distinct sides to your behavior, feelings, or personality? They might not be fully opposite, but it seems like there's a shadowy version of you and another version constantly bathed in sunlight. It feels confusing to walk through some or parts of your days like you know who you are, what you want, and how to blend it all together into a flourishing life. And then I have other moments where you feel like a fraud, are unsure of your choices, and life feels more like a fitted sheet that you can't properly fold than a well-woven tapestry. This idea is reflected in the idea of the two circles, the victim and creator circles. This tool holds a special place in my heart because it's out of the creator circle theory that I really started this podcast. But before we fully dive into the two circles, we need to understand the concept of shadow selves versus our true self. Now we've talked a bit about our true self before, but let me introduce shadow selves. Shadow selves are pieces of us formed by environment, experience, and our own nature that want to help us hold on to one of our values, but often uses less than helpful methods. For example, one of my shadow selves is a tiny little blonde girl who always feels helpless and small. She tries to move me towards values of safety and connection, but her strategy is pretty shoddy. Perhaps growing up, I learned that crying and saying I needed help often gave me a sense of being cared for. It soothed me. However, as an adult, it's not as helpful to just start weeping and murmuring, I can't do it, I just can't, waiting for someone to save me. Shadow selves are tricky because we can't ignore them, but we also can't let them take over the show. They're still valid parts of us, but they aren't our true self. We have to learn how to pause, listen to what our shadow selves are telling us, and reassure them as our true self that we will take care of us, that we have a better way of meeting our needs. This probably all sounds very vague and metacognitive, so much thinking about our thinking, and it can be. But I was taught a visualization strategy that gives me a more concrete platform for this internal dialogue. Now, you might feel silly or crazy doing this, but it's honestly such a good tool. So start by thinking about things that yourself or others criticize you for. Think about the habits or traits that make your life more stressful or challenging. This can feel uncomfortable and even a bit overwhelming, but we're only going to work with one at a time, so don't panic. One thing I've noticed about me is that I can overthink and overanalyze things. So that's what I'll start with, overthinking. Next, try to connect with how you feel while being or doing that thing. Does that part of you bring your energy up or down? How does it affect your focus, your self-control? How does it feed off of or create different emotions? For me, when I'm overthinking, I feel my mental energy spike while my physical energy plummets. My mind is racing, but my body almost freezes. Have you ever watched That's So Raven? 
I feel like I look like how she does when she gets a vision, except everything stops except for her mental focus. Um, and I hyper-focus, but not necessarily on the most beneficial or critical details. And this part of my brain feeds off of fear and uncertainty, and it often creates more of the same. Now that you have a feeling, a wider concept of that habit, think about what that piece of you is trying to do, to get. What value is it trying to move you toward in its own offbeat way? My overthinking habit is most often trying to move me toward acceptance, away from what I think is failure and therefore could lead to rejection. I overthink so that I can prepare for every eventuality and therefore always encounter success and some sense of safety. She protects me from the fear of failure and ensuing loss of love that my brain associates with messing things up. It's a way of trying to control the love I receive. Now... This has worked at certain times in my life, many times. My overthinking side trained me to foresee needs and meet them before people asked. It taught me to move cautiously, never revealing too much of myself unless I was sure that the calculated risk was worth it. The fact that the strategy works some or most of the time is why our brain keeps it. But just because something is effective does not mean that it is best practice. So once you've figured out what this piece of you wants, you can try to name it. Think about the habit or trait with all of its newly revealed details and see if you can refine its name. Make it more precise. My overthinking self isn't just thinking too much without rhyme or reason. She's very analytical. She's looking at every side of every situation and person, trying to solve every problem even before it starts. There are probably many things I could label her as, but I decided to call her my analytical self. This refining process leads to the truly visual part, and to be honest, you might be able to do this all in a different order, but I'm sharing how I walked through getting to know my shadow selves. Ultimately, you need to use whatever method makes the most sense to you. So what I do now is close my eyes and try to picture the kind of analytical person who is living inside of my brain. I see a woman in her early 30s. She's of medium height with a tightly coiled brunette bun at the nape of her neck. Her hair is pulled tight, highlighting the gray streaks that have started to weave their way from her temples back into the knot. She wears a small pair of glasses with thick black frames that sit just on the edge of her nose. Her white lab coat hangs boxy around her. She has a G2 pen and sleek chrome clipboard in her hands. She has a desk that's strewn about with papers and multiple computer monitors. And when she talks, her words come out clipped, with as much suave as freshly starched khakis from her tight-lipped mouth. She has a permanent crease in her forehead from contemplating every variable. On her own, she will not stop until the problem is solved or answers are found. Having a fleshed out identity and appearance for this shadow self makes it easier for me to interact with her when I need to. Instead of just trying to stop the overwhelm or control the flow of thoughts, I can sit down with her, ask her what she needs, listen, 
and reassure her that I will take care of us in the way that's best for us. Again, you might feel a little goofy developing these personas and then talking to them, because for all of the literalists, yes, you are just talking to yourself. But it's a creative tool that helps you detach from the feeling or habit and make space to process it more objectively. You might be wondering why I dragged you through this whole shadow self process when I said we'd be talking about the two circles. Well, our shadow selves are often a component of our victim circle, so it's helpful to understand that piece. And we all have several shadow selves, and it's a constant discovery and refining process to get to know them and how to work with them. The victim circle is a space where we often get stuck. It filters thoughts, feelings, and experiences through the lens of what we lack or who we're not. In the victim circle, we feel helpless, like we're not the ones in control of our own lives. Other people and circumstances influence our mindset more than we do. This is the space where we think, if only I had this, or if only I were, or maybe if only I weren't. We think that something needs to change, or someone needs to rescue us, for us to find happiness or peace. Because we feel like we're not in control, and therefore act like we're not in control, We blame life, circumstances, and others for our challenges. In the victim circle, there's no energy or space left for hope, perseverance, or creative problem solving. There's only a sense of being stuck, trampled by the cosmic forces around us. In this circle, our shadow selves take over because they don't trust that our true self is going to take care of us. And since their methods are often more harmful than helpful, it feeds back into the circle of disempowerment, guilt, shame, helplessness, and so on. The creator circle, on the other hand, is a place of acceptance, choice, and ownership. It's a safe haven within where we can be our true self, filtering life's input through our values and power. In the creator circle, we accept that the only things we can control in our life are our perspective, our choices, and who we trust. Life circumstances are bound to change, ebb, and flow. There will be ups, downs, plateaus, and loop-de-loops. The only constant is that we will be with ourselves for the whole ride, and we get to decide how we experience all of those moments and changes. In the creator circle, you can rest in knowing who you are. You can use your energy to choose how to take care of yourself, what you want to do, and who you let see this truest, most vulnerable, most powerful version of you. Here, your true self reigns. Your true self makes choices that build self-trust, encouraging your shadow selves to let down their guard and take a back seat. The safety and freedom your true self cultivates opens up endless possibilities to create a life you love. Something that's still a challenge for me is understanding how my emotions manifest differently depending on which circle my mind is spending time in. When my mind drifts over to the victim circle, which became its trained default over time, I'm more reactive. Other people's words and actions and the uncontrollable, unpredictable pieces of life spark an emotional reaction in me 
I feel defensive. And my victim selves attempt to protect me, fear, anger, hopelessness, bravado, and many other emotions spark out from me. When I'm spending time in my creator circle, I might feel some of the same emotions, but I'm able to see them, nurture them, talk to them, and regulate them before they come shooting out. Because feeling your feelings is healthy, but letting them shoot out of you like lasers that cut and singe yourself and others is not. The creator circle gives space to respond instead of react. Your true self can take the time they need to process, regulate, and formulate an authentic response that keeps you in line with your values and in connection with the people you trust. Now that we have an overview of the two circles, let's talk about another visualization exercise that brings these places to life. It might sound like a waste of time and energy to visualize your victim circle, but giving it some concrete boundaries and descriptors keeps it from overshadowing your mind in vague darkness and helplessness. When we don't name or define difficult feelings or harmful thinking patterns, they hold a strange undefined power over us. But as soon as you speak or write, or draw, or even just imagine the confines of those clouds, they shrink and become less solid, like a vapor that you once thought was a thunderstorm. Visualizing your victim circle is helpful, but it won't feel as fun as designing your creator circle. And that's okay. The important thing is knowing that this process might overturn some strong emotions, which will require grace and care. Be patient with yourself as you walk through your shadows. Don't judge these pieces of you. Don't guilt or shame yourself for having them or for finding you still have them after you thought you got rid of them already. Part of being human is knowing that we will always have these corners. And part of healing is seeing that we don't have to hide or ignore them to be whole. After this exercise, I recommend doing something that nurtures your soul and brings you joy. You might not feel like doing it at that point because digging through the shadows feels heavy. But it's sort of like how Professor Lupin always gives Harry Potter a piece of chocolate after he faces a Dementor. It doesn't negate the experience he just had, but it helps him recover. So talk to a friend, go to a walk, jam out to your favorite song or pet your dog. Do whatever it is that will help you recover from the hard work you just did. When you imagine your victim circle, there might be an image or memory that already comes to mind. Oftentimes our inner child lives in this circle with old wounds and scars that they don't know how to heal. So picture adorable little you in a tough moment. Where are you sitting? What are you doing? I remember a moment where my little fourth grade self felt like a victim. A victim of social standards that she didn't choose. She's wearing a pink button-up sleeveless top with tiny magenta flowers. She has on matching magenta shorts and her favorite red and white tennies. She's sitting on top of the set of tall blue slides at the school playground, looking over at the kickball field feeling like such an outsider after overhearing the rest of the kids strategizing how to not pick her for their team. She decided it was better to sit this game out than be embarrassed by her classmates. Now she's just watching them, wishing that she was more of something and less of other things. 
Once you picture your sweet young self, imagine your shadow selves joining the scene to protect and comfort you. They're going to do the best they know how with the tools they have. I can see my helpless shadow, my analytical shadow, my we-don't-take-crap-from-nobody shadow, and my impulsive shadow sitting around me in a circle. The thing about our victim circle is that it's not an inherently bad place. It's often less helpful, but it's full of very real experiences, emotions, and tools that once helped you cope. The issue is that the coping skills we make as kids often don't serve us well as adults. You can give your victim circle as many or as few details as you like. Maybe you want to draw yours out. Maybe yours is all set in hues of gray. Maybe the actual details of the moment are too challenging and instead you just picture dark little blobs with eyeballs bobbing around. There's really no wrong way to do this. The last thing I encourage you to do is to draw a circle around your vision. Give your victim circle a true border. You can make it out of steel, chalk, wood, glass, hedges, Turkish delight, whatever works for you. Just give it boundaries, letting it know that it cannot take you over. Now, as we said before, designing your creator circle is going to be much more fun. And this process can be easier if you've already identified some of your core values. Those pieces of what matter to you and drive your life's decisions. If you'd like a little review on value identity, go back to episode 6 and listen to what Janelle James has to say. And if you haven't identified them yet, that's okay. You still have many ideas that will come to mind and they honestly might end up showing you what some of your values are as you design your creator circle. So first off, think of a time when you felt happy. Where were you? Imagine that space where you feel content, peaceful, joyful. Picture somewhere you feel comfortable being yourself. This might be a real place that you already know. It might be a mixture of memories, dreams, and things you remember from your favorite book or movie. Maybe you already have imagined a secret place in your mind that you go to to take breaks, and you'd like to adopt that as your home base for your creative circle. Again, there are no wrong answers. Once you have a general location, a house, a beach, a meadow, a bedroom, you can start adding furnishings and other details. Walk through that space with all five of your senses. What color is the sky? The walls? Are there flowers? Is it snowing? What can you hear? Is there a thunderstorm outside? Or maybe the sound of waves gently lapping against the shore? What are the smells? The tastes? The textures? Now that you have a setting, think about what you will use this space for. My therapist asked me, what would you do in a place without fear? If you weren't held back by fear of failure, rejection, disappointment, loneliness, insignificance, or responsibility, how would you spend your time? What would you truly want to be doing? Creating? Would you pursue painting, writing, dancing? Would you plan your own business, a nonprofit? Would you rest more, 
read more, play an instrument? Would you build things, fix things, invent things? What longs to flow from your spirit, whether you've ever let it out or not? Your creator circle is a space to sit with our experiences and emotions and shape them into things of beauty and meaning, however you define those things. Your space will look drastically different from everyone else's, and that's good. You are uniquely, wonderfully you, no matter how much your brain tries to convince you to be like others. Part of the magic of creator circles is that we all bring different kinds of creations to life from that space out into the world. We need the creator circles where the top values are justice and ingenuity as much as the ones centered on tranquility and compassion. We aren't just one thing, as individuals or as humans. We're many-sided creatures with endless potential and interests. As you design your own space, remember that the creative freedom and choice you exercise here is not limited to the inside of your mind. Life has many factors, variables, and speed bumps, and you are still a complex creature with infinite potential. You have the power to change your life. You are in control of your choices. You can shape your perspective. You can choose who you let in and who you politely kick out of your sacred space. Step into your creator energy now, regardless of what you think you lack knowing that you don't have to be perfect or healed to wield that energy. Let the light in your spirit express itself and let those new creations reveal more pieces of who you really are. Your creator energy is a gift from you and for you, and it will impact the world around you as you embrace its flow. Before I let you go, I'm going to give you a little overview of my creator circle. If pieces of it resonate with you, take them and use them in your own. If none of it does, you've narrowed down your design through the process of elimination and I'm still happy for you. However this hits, let it encourage you to set aside some time to cultivate these spaces in your mind. Visit often and make them home. These are platforms, spaces to do healing's hard work. Use them to reflect and sort through the beauteous hot mess of life. In my creator circle, I picture something like the open-air house I lived in when I was in Guatemala. It has a few cozy rooms with soft golden walls and glassless windows. There's a courtyard open to the night sky. I see a jungle of houseplants crawling up trellises and sprouting out of colorful clay pots, still warm from the day's sun. There's a velvet, jewel-toned cushion, big enough to sleep on, just under a balcony off the courtyard. There are candles that smell like vanilla and mossy woods, and strings of lights weave across the ceiling, casting the perfect glow for reading or journaling. It's quiet here, with only rustling leaves and the distant sounds of the forest keeping me company. But somehow, I never feel lonely here. I feel right content, safe, brimming with possibilities. When I come here, I often bring strong emotions with me, sometimes even my shadow selves. They can make it hard to see the goodness of this place. So I invite them in for a cup of tea and ask them to tell me their story, their problems, 
I listen, and we sip tea and munch on fresh-baked bread until everyone's feeling much calmer, and they're ready to go home or go lay down for the night in one of my extra beds. Then I spend time writing, reflecting on the challenges and treasures I've encountered along my crooked path. Sometimes I draw or color. Never very well, but that doesn't matter. I simply like the act of creating. I love to care for my plants, to admire them, and to dance with them when the gentle, refreshing rain comes. In my circle, I lay on the soft velvet cushion, looking out at the vast expanse of stars, and remember that the world is so big, and I'm so grateful to have a place in it. I look out the window to my neighbors, my shadows, and we smile at each other, knowing that we're all doing the work we're best made for in our own time. I thank them for taking care of me when I didn't know how, and I bow my head in a promise that I, my true self, will care for us from now on. I turn back to my circle and breathe, feeling weightless again in the security of inner peace. Thanks for listening to this episode of Imperfect Progress. Please find the follow or subscribe button to stay up to date with each new release. And remember, dear ones, you are worth the effort of growth.